Hi, everyone. Just want to do a little Q&A for uh, nutrition today. Uh, going to be kicking off our nutrition challenge next week on the 21st, so Monday. Uh, once you sign up for that, it is a six-week program. Uh, once you sign up for that, you'll be added to a Facebook group page. The program is all online. Um, there's going to be two to three videos per week uh, specific to your questions and also a lot of educational content. Uh, there's one check-in per week, and there's lots of other posts uh, kind of giving you the opportunity opportunity to think through your nutrition, your challenges, your struggles, uh, and to learn a lot about yourself and learn about your habits and how to improve them. So uh, it does start again Monday. Uh, once you sign up, you can begin looking at the first week's content, which will kind of get you ready for week number one. Uh, and it is uh, a great educational program where it'll start simple uh, we'll build upon our knowledge each week rather than just kind of throwing everything at you at once. I've set it up in a way where I think it's very easy to take in, digest maybe, uh, and have really good results uh, by the end of it. And you can practice what you're learning right during that challenge, or by the end of it, you'll have all the tools needed uh, to continue to have success, whether your goal is weight gain, weight maintenance, weight loss, body composition change. Maybe you're just interested in improving your performance. Uh, kind of cleaning things up. And I talk about a variety of things and it can be specific to anyone. So if you come into it with a general weight loss goal, it's great. If you come into it with a performance goal, it's great for that uh, because every single week I'll be able to answer your questions. And I actually do a video every week, kind of just like this one. So uh, I'll get into our Q&A now. Oh, there's one more question. Uh, the time commitment into the program, I'd say it's roughly two to three hours a week of uh, video content, posting, that type of thing. Uh, and then you know, the time commitment you put in additional to that is kind of up to you, right? You can make small changes to your current diet, which there wouldn't be uh, too much additional time commitment. You can make extreme changes, right? Maybe now you don't grocery shop, you just order food online. Uh, maybe we don't cook at all. Uh, and you can make a full flip from ordering all your food and having someone else prepare it to you shopping, preparing it, portioning it out. Um, but everyone will have a different strategy. It's not something where you have to do meal prep. I talk about more meal planning, kind of knowing what you're going to eat and planning ahead uh, what you're going to eat. And then some people decide that they might want to meal prep all their meals ahead of time. Others might just have food somewhere in the house. Uh, others might go to Costco and find pre-made options that work really well in a, a time crunch. So uh, kind of getting into our first question, the, I, I ordered these in a way where I think it kind of lays a foundation of uh, knowledge to allow me to answer the other questions later. Uh, some of the questions can be extremely context specific, uh, challenging. So I kind of give a couple outlines of how it might look for one person versus another, a uh, variety of reasons why maybe this question came up in the first place. Um, so I'm going to start with macros and macro ratios. So um, macros, we have protein, we have carbohydrate, we have fat. Um, those are influenced by your calorie intake. Uh, so someone kind of asks, you know, how, what ratio of macro should I have uh, based on my goals? Um, versus someone else's goals. The first thing we need to know is how many calories we need, which comes down to how much you burn throughout the day, just naturally, if you're just laid in the bed all day, uh, what would you burn plus uh, your activity level? And there's a couple other things that influence it, but just a small portion. So it's primarily body size that's going to influence that, muscle mass will influence that, and then your activity level. Um, so once we have our calorie amount determined, and there's a million different calculators out there, I tend to go with a trial and error type model, which I'll talk about later when we get to weight maintenance question. Uh, but once you have your calories figured out, then you can begin to figure out your macros. So one gram of protein is four calories. 
one gram of carbohydrate, four calories, one gram of fat is nine calories. So if I have 2000 calories, I need to decide how do I distribute those between my proteins, carbs, and fats. Uh, now I like protein to be somewhere between like 0.8 and one grams per pound of body weight. Uh, so if I weigh 200 pounds, I would need somewhere between 160 to 200 grams of protein per day. And that's for performance. That's for improvement in body composition. If all your goal is to be healthy or get the minimum in, uh, that number is a lot lower. It's probably like 0.3 to 0.6, uh, somewhere in that range. But if you're here to maximize your strength, your performance, your muscular size, your muscular recovery, then we probably need to look at 0.8 to 1.0. The next one is carbohydrate, uh, which is quite a complicated number to figure out. It is largely related to your activity level. So if you're sedentary and you don't work out, you probably don't need that much carbohydrate, right? You don't have really high energy needs. You don't have explosive performance needs. You don't have needs for muscle recovery if you're not exercising and you're not working out. Now, we all work out. Uh, our activity levels do vary though. still, right? Someone could be a manual laborer. Someone could work at a desk. So how do we figure that out? Uh, kind of comes off the calories, right? Uh, I think a good ballpark for people who work out is roughly their body weight in grams uh, per day. So I weigh 200 pounds, about 200 grams per day. Let's say I'm a triathlete and I'm a construction worker. That could be three times body weight. That could be 600 grams of carbs per day. Someone might find that that's not even enough. Uh, extreme cases, I think, you know, Matt Frazier, Olympic swimmers, um, people that might be working out for eight hours a day or active for eight plus hours a day, they're probably in that range, five, 600, 800, something like that. Again, depending on body size, goal, et cetera. Now let's say um, we're looking at performance, uh, but our secondary goal is weight loss. Maybe my best performance is at 300, 400 grams of carbs per day, which is roughly double body weight to 1.5 times body weight. However, I need to reduce my calories uh, to lose weight or further my weight loss, then my carbohydrates would have to come down a little bit. So there might be a slight performance decrease there. Uh, however, not everyone feels that. So carb intake is largely based on how active you are. Uh, and there was a question that I also received was, let's say I'm planning on doing a workout. I got all my meals made. Um, how do I modify it? All of a sudden now I can't go to my workout. How do I modify my carbohydrates? And I will talk about that later, uh, but I do think your carbon take should be directly related to your activity on that day. So a day where you're working uh, on your feet and then doing a workout should look different than a day where you're at home all day and you're just, just chilling. The next thing would be fat. So when you have your protein amount and your carbohydrate amount, that will leave you with X amount of calories left over. The remaining calories go to your fat. Uh, and I would say at a minimum, we need at least 30 grams. And I would hope uh, we're traveling upward of that. Um, maximums on this, you know, 200 grams per day. I don't think many people are even getting to that. 150 grams per day would probably be a more active, larger individual could see that. I'd say a lot of us are probably somewhere between like 30 grams and 100 grams uh, per day. But again, that's just whatever's left over. So you have your protein based off your body weight, you have your carbs based off your energy needs, your activity level, and then you have your fat, which is just whatever's left over in your calorie amount. Right. And before I said there's one gram of fat, uh, there's nine calories and one gram of fat. So let's say I had, you know, 90 or 900 calories left in my allotment. Uh, that'd be 100 grams of fat that I have left over. And then I can decide how to distribute that uh, throughout the day. And the, the macros are one of the biggest parts of this, right? Calories are number one. 
Macros are number two in terms of our priorities. All encompassing that is consistency, which I'll get to later. Um, so the next question is kind of talking about meal timing. I would say it's like the third or fourth most important thing when it comes to nutrition. Uh, this person was in specific reference to the pre-workout window and the post-workout window, what to eat before, what to eat after. Now, now that we know our amount of macros, you'd want to take that and close to evenly distribute that throughout the day. If you want to get incredibly specific, the protein amount should be about the same each meal. The carbohydrate amounts would change based on when you work out and when you're most active. Uh, if you work out in the morning, you'd have most of your carbohydrates in the morning. If you work out at night, you might have most of your carbohydrates at night. Incredibly specific uh, thing to think about and not that important. Maybe two to 5% of the total equation of importance. So if it's really inconvenient to do that, and when you do that, it makes you uh, lose adherence or perform poorly on your uh, diet or nutrition program, then you can throw all that out the window and do whatever makes you stick to the plan better. Um, and then your fat would, I like to put fat wherever I'm most hungry. So for me, it's typically in the evening. I also like to have a bit in the morning so I don't feel hungry uh, for my first workout of the day. So pre and post-workout specifically, uh, again, you'd want some carbohydrate pre-workout, you'd want some protein pre-workout, and you want minimal fat and minimal fiber. Fat and fiber tend to stick in our gut longer. Uh, they could cause gastrointestinal, my belly hurts uh, types of feelings, which tend to not really help your performance. In fact, they might be distracting. They might worsen your performance if they're really distracting, uh, or they really cause big issues there. The timing of your pre-workout meal is the more challenging part where this can become more specific. Let's say you're working, you're working out first thing in the morning, you wake up, you drive here and you work out. Uh, I would say you want to have something you tolerate. Well, I would try to get a small bit of protein, 10 to 20 grams and a small bit of carbohydrate and everyone tolerates foods differently. So it might be 10 to 40 grams of carbohydrate for me. I like to have a shake after my workout. So in the morning, if I'm going to work out first thing, I make my shake, I sip on it. Maybe I get five, six sips of protein. In. That's I would call that good for me. Um, and then I want to have some carbohydrate. I tend to do well with bananas. I would eat probably half of one if I worked out immediately in the morning, uh, or even something like a little glug or sip or two of orange juice, just to get some quick carbohydrates ready uh, for me to utilize in that workout. Fasting pre-workout, uh, performance is not your primary goal. That could work totally fine. And also think about this, if you eat before your workout and it makes you feel like you're going to puke or be sick, then it might just be better to be fasted into your workout. So again, uh, it's one of those things that make a small difference where if you try something new and it doesn't go well, that's another thing you can just throw it right out the window. Uh, so that's the pre-workout window. In the post-workout window, it should look very similar. Uh, so a protein source, a carbohydrate source, and then maybe a fat source, and then maybe a vegetable source, depending on where we're at. Uh, some people have asked questions about not being able to eat enough. I think in the post-workout window, it's a great opportunity to eat easy calories. Uh, if you're really interested in performance, we can get a big benefit from large carbohydrate intake post-workout. Large, again, context specific, somewhere between 40, 120, 200 grams of carbohydrate based on the demands of the workout, based on your body size, based on your goals. Um, now, me personally, someone posted about how I eat Fig Newtons all the time. Uh, I tend to eat a lot of breakfast cereal, and currently I'm eating some Pop-Tarts. Now, is that the healthiest thing? Uh, no, if we're talking about nutrients, minerals, and vitamins, certainly not. But for me, uh, with my active lifestyle and working out for you know one hour to two hours per day, I need to just be able to get in enough carbohydrate to fuel my performance. I could certainly have a salad with fruit, 
Um, I, but there's no way I can get 200 grams of carbohydrate in post-workout without feeling like I'm going to explode from all the fiber that is inside of vegetables and fruit. So for me, I'd go for a quick sugary, either drink. I tend to sip on a Gatorade occasionally, depending on the year uh, and or time of the year. Uh, and otherwise I go for something quick, easy, and yummy post-workout. Now, not everyone needs that. Let's say you're in a weight loss phase. Uh, maybe you're a smaller individual. Your calories are already quite limited. I would make sure you have a solid protein source. So like a chicken, steak, whatever, um, a solid carbohydrate source, although one you can digest easily. So maybe like a white rice or something of that nature, white potato. Um, and then you probably want a vegetable source in your post-workout uh, just so you stay fuller longer. Again, conversely, there's me, I'm eating something really easy to eat, doesn't keep me that full. Uh, and that's what allows me to eat more later on in the day, because maybe I just have a hard time getting enough food in uh, based on my schedule, activity level, body size, uh, and all of that. So again, very complicated um, situation here, very complicated topic, kind of comes down to the individual uh, goals, performance needs. Uh, and as your activity level climbs, right, your sugar intake, or sorry, as your workout demands climb, let's say you're training for a marathon, think about all the carbohydrate chews that people are taking, like, why are they taking that? Is that really any different than like a Gatorade? Is that really any different than a uh, Coke, like a Coca-Cola? I'm sure we've heard the stories about like Olympic athletes, just like eating whatever they want, whenever they want, uh, just because they need the fuel, right? And for them, if they don't get enough fuel in, their performance would decrease. So that's kind of the pre and post workout window. If you want some protein, you want some carb, the amount depends on your body size and activity level. Uh, if I'm going to give like a general number for pre-workout 20 ish grams of protein up to 40, uh, and then probably like somewhere between 20 and 80 grams of carbohydrate in pre-workout, depending on how far away it is from your workout in the post-workout window, it's going to be very similar, 20 to 40 grams of protein, 20 to 80 grams of uh, carbohydrate. I would say that's the average in general. Again, if you're larger, super active, maybe it's higher. Maybe you did a, maybe you ran a marathon, go eat some carbohydrates, enjoy it. Um, so the next thing was kind of like grouped into like troubleshooting the diet, um, talking about how do I know I'm eating enough? Um, maybe how do I know if I'm eating too much? I'm not getting the results that I want. What do I do? How do I modify it? Uh, that type of thing. So the first one is how do I know if I'm eating enough uh, or maybe I feel like I'm not eating enough and I don't want to overeat. Uh, I don't want to undereat. I just want to kind of meet my energy needs where they're at and go from there. So how do you know the first way to know, and this will be any tracking of calories, food estimations of food, right? Cause we don't actually know how many calories we burn per day based on a calculator. Uh, even if I hooked you up on a mask and got a perfect number for that day, those numbers change every day, depending on how active you are. Um, something actually really interesting, at least I find it interesting, uh, say we're eating not very much, our body will kind of meet those demands where we're at. And maybe you're someone who does like you tap your foot all the time, or you fidget a lot. Uh, maybe you, maybe you talk really fast and talk a lot. If you're in a state of low energy where you're not taking in that much food, you might stop fidgeting. You might find yourself getting fewer steps per day, but it's hard for you to notice that unless you really pay attention to it. Uh, so sometimes you'll have someone who reduces their calories and all of a sudden they don't lose weight, but it's because their activity level dropped with the reduction of their calories. So step trackers actually come in handy uh, quite a bit there. But how do you know if you're eating enough? I would track your body weight uh, and I would take three weights per week. I like to do like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, first thing when I wake up uh, or after I use the bathroom, first thing when I wake up, 
Now those numbers are going to fluctuate heavily, uh, but you're going to be able to get an average. So let's say week one, let's just say me personally, let's say day one, 200, day two, 201, day three, 199, average of 200 for that day. The next week, I'd want to look at my average again, the next week, my average again, the next week, my average again, and then compare those averages. The reason you don't want to just rely on one number uh, is because our body weight fluctuates heavily based on our intake, uh, our emptying of the food in our body, um, salt intake, carbohydrate intake, water intake, stress levels, uh, activity levels. So basically there's 10 million variables that are going to kind of fluctuate your body weight. And I've seen body weight swings of 10 to 15 pounds. Some people have swings like that, right? The larger you are, the more extreme it will be. The smaller you are, the harder it is to see those body weight swings, which can actually make weight loss frustrating uh, when we don't see those larger swings, but take that average. And if that number sticks at its average, whatever diet you're following is at weight maintenance. And the really interesting thing is the average American gains one pound per year for their lifetime. Uh, that means our bodies do a really, really good job of maintaining our body weight, right? We eat a little too much food stays good, right? Uh, but our bodies do a really good job of hunger signals, activity regulation. Uh, and that's another reason why it's really hard to lose weight or intentionally gain weight because we kind of meet ourselves where we're at. So let's say uh, you do that for four weeks. You notice your weight is slowly decreasing. That's when you know that you're not eating enough and then you could eat more and improve uh, your your um, maybe your workouts, maybe your production, that type of thing. Let's say you measure it and for four weeks straight, you've maintained roughly the same body weight. And I would say like a, you know, a one pound swing between weeks is probably the average. I would say that's probably maintaining your body weight. Um, you could experiment, you could eat more. Uh, I would add roughly somewhere between 100 and 250 calories to your daily diet and see if you gain weight. So, right. Let's say I add 200 calories and somehow I'm able to use those extra 200 calories in my workouts. So I'm having way better workouts. I'm way more active. I get home, I'm pumped up. I feel great. I go for a walk and I burn off an extra 200 calories. I would say our goal is to eat as much as we can while maintaining body weight. And that's what we should be doing most of the year, right? Most of the year we should be uh, kind of gradually increasing food intake. If our goals performance are looking more muscular, um, because your workouts should get harder over time, long periods of time, your energy expenditure is likely going up over time. Your muscle mass is likely going up over time. And that means your intake needs to trend upwards over time. So maybe uh, year one of strength training, I'm consuming 2000 calories per day. Maybe year 10, I'm up at 2,500 just to maintain my body weight. Cause I'm way stronger. Now my workouts are way harder, way more demanding. And that's how I'd go with that. So again, maximize the amount of food you can eat while maintaining and use the scale system for trial and error. Um, that does get into a more complicated situation with weighing yourself. If you kind of have a, a negative outlook on that, or it's uh, creating stress, uh, then this is just going to be much harder. Uh, I would just experiment with eating a little bit more and seeing if you feel a little bit better. And then you can kind of either look in the mirror, or use whatever metric you use to, to check your body weight maintenance. Uh, and you can use that. But again, uh, I tend to look at the scale as like a really great tool and that's how I'd like us to view it. I know that's not where we're at for everyone that will eventually uh, trying to get there, use it as a tool, and then we can make guided decisions based off of that. Yeah, I think that covers that one. Um, how do I know basically trial and error? 
how to eat more. Oh, this is another question. It's just, uh, I'm just not hungry. What do I do? How do I eat more? I eat Pop-Tarts. I eat foods. We live in, a, we live in America. There's an American culture uh, diet where we're dealing with obesity due to issues of food is so available. Food is so tasty that we just consume too much of it. If you're meeting your um, goals for nutrition, right? You're getting enough protein, you're getting enough fat, you're getting enough carb. Uh, let's say you're just, you're just lacking a little bit of calories and it could be from carbs or fat or even protein. You don't have to go and eat a salad with chicken breast. You can just get your calories in from other sources. Uh, I don't think there's too many negative impacts. Uh, the one thing you do want to avoid is sugary sweetened beverages, which is pops, sodas, whatever you call them. Uh, those tend to actually have quite a negative effect on weight gain uh, and your teeth. So that's the one thing we'd want to avoid, but otherwise go indulge a little bit, eat foods that are easier to eat. Uh, you could also reduce the amount of filling foods that you're eating. So if you're eating like oatmeal and chicken breasts all day long, try eating something that's less heavy. Maybe for me personally, I like to eat white rice. I can digest it easily. I can eat tons of it. Uh, I don't like eating oatmeal in a weight gain phase. There's no chance I'm eating enough oatmeal to possibly influence my weight upwards. Uh, and I tend to use sugary sweetened things. In addition to those sugary foods, allowing me to eat more of them and get enough calories, they also tend to keep my cravings a little bit lower. Uh, so even when I'm in a weight loss phase, I'll throw a sweet in maybe once a day or once every couple days, something like that. But it makes me not get ridiculous cravings and feel like, you know, I'm missing out on something. So yeah, I think that covers how to eat more. You can also use liquid calories, shakes, milk, fruit juices, that type of thing to eat more. Uh, a lot of people I've kind of talked to aren't dealing too much with how to eat more. Um, so a lot of my tips are for trying to stay fuller longer uh, and going from there. Also peanut butter, eat peanut butter before bed. So I tell all our high school basketball players who play three sports per year and work out for an hour a day and you know, they're growing, they need food. Anyways, to the next one, uh, I'm not losing weight. Can you be in a deficit for too long? Um, this is a very hard, challenging question. So the first thing is, you know, how are you tracking your body weight? Are you taking the averages like I talked about earlier and comparing those over time? Are you just stepping on, you know, one day here, the next, you know, maybe morning on Tuesday, and then I'm jumping on Thursday night after I just ate a whole full day of meals. And then Sunday after I had, you know, a, a pizza, I hop on there. And all of a sudden I got these ridiculous weight swings. There's no real correlation. Try to be very consistent with how you weigh yourself, whatever number of days it is per week. I really like averages instead of just, you know, Monday, I, Monday's weigh-in day and I hop on. It's like this weird number and it doesn't, doesn't tell me the full story. So make sure you're doing that first to confirm where your weight loss is at. Uh, now, what I consider an aggressive amount of weight loss per week, one pound for some people is very aggressive. Two pounds per week is extremely aggressive. Um, and we see a lot of promises out there, like lose 20 pounds in 10 days, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff that's marketed to us, which is you know frustrating for me to explain, oh man, I only lost six pounds in six weeks. I'm like, that's huge amount. And depending on the person's body size, that could be like an insane amount. Um, so kind of keep that in mind as well. Might have to shift some of our mindset towards weight loss. It's not this crazy rapid thing. Um, you know, six, a pound a week is incredibly good. 0.5 pounds per week is incredibly good. And when I say that, then you have to realize when I go back and look at the scale, we know our body weights can fluctuate. You know, for me, I can fluctuate 12 pounds in a week. Uh, others of smaller size still might fluctuate three to six pounds per week. 
how do we possibly know if we're losing weight? Um, you know, and if I'm losing, if I'm a really small individual, maybe I weigh hundred pounds and I'm losing weight at 0.5 pounds per week. How do I possibly know what's going on? Uh, you might benefit from weighing yourself more frequently and taking an average there and then comparing the highs to the lows. And you'd want to see right if we're in a weight loss phase, you want to see lower lows over time. So maybe I hit a new low, I hit 198 pounds for me. Uh, and then the highest weight I saw this week was 201.2. And then the next week, you know, I hit 170 or 197. Don't hit 170 off 198. Hit 197.2. Uh, and then my highest was 198. And then I'm seeing that finally I'm seeing this general trend downward, which again is much harder if you're a smaller individual because there's so many fluctuations uh, in that scale that are going to kind of make it foggy to see your true progress. So challenging there. Second challenge, make sure you are tracking your food correctly. Incredibly hard. Uh, if you're not using a food scale for every single food you're taking in, and even if you are, there's going to be inaccuracies with this. Uh, and there's a really good graphs out there. I talk about it in the nutrition program. I actually have a, a graph where I drawn it in the background. Monday, perfect. Tuesday, perfect. Wednesday, I didn't even eat enough. I'm killing it. Thursday, perfect. Friday, perfect. Saturday, I ate 500 extra calories. Sunday, I'm starving. I ate 3000 extra calories, personal experience for me, right? Uh, maybe my diet throughout the week is way too aggressive. leads me to uncontrollable binging, um, poor habits, Friday through Saturday, social um, and a social situation. I overconsume by thousands of calories and I still don't feel full because I'm, you know, I'm really scraping along throughout the week. That's another thing. Um, for me, the biggest eye opener was the first time I got a food scale and had a peanut butter uh, serving. Two tablespoons is a lot smaller than when I was eating. I was probably eating half a cup. Um, same thing with cereal, right? I fill up a bowl of cereal, it's three servings. So if I think, you know, oh, I'm going to have one serving of cereal, it's 200 calories, it's 40 grams of carbohydrates. Nope, it's uh, 650 calories, which is enough to pop, like completely disrupt my weight loss phase um, just from one meal. So be more diligent with that. Uh, finding accurate information on Foods you eat somewhere, extremely hard. So if you're at a restaurant, you type in what they have, you know, you might might come up with results for different things. They're all completely different. Um, that makes it more challenging. Now, I don't think we should avoid that type of thing. I don't think we should be tracking our foods year round. But when you're in a weight loss phase, which should roughly last somewhere between like four and a maximum of 12 weeks, then you'd want to be more diligent in your tracking, more specific. You can track your steps. You can track your calorie intake. You can track your body weight, your protein, your carbs, your fats. Almost not in an obsessive way, uh, but I think it does become obsessive if you string it along for more than it needs to be. So accomplish what you need to accomplish in your six to 12 weeks in extremely focused weight loss phase. And then you can move on to the rest of the year of maintenance phase. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm looking for with this really uh, the six week challenge that we're doing, I think is there's actually been good research on this that six weeks is the time that people are most adherent. Uh, so the most successful at sticking to your diet is six to eight weeks. As we extend further than that, we become less adherent, more challenged mentally, physically. Uh, as we're reaching week 10, we're falling off 11, extremely hard 12. We're ready to just throw in the towel. And that kind of goes into being into a deficit too long. Um, I think, I think past six weeks for many people is too long. I think even personally, I've been, you know, messing around with my diet since I was 19. So what am I now? So about nine years, if I go for more than like six to eight weeks without a break, mental and physical break, 
man, it's a grind. I don't want to even look at the food I've been eating. I don't want to meal prep. I'm not motivated. Um, I'm frustrated. If I step on the scale and it's not down, I get angry, maybe an emotional response, maybe a stress response might throw off my whole day, make me uh, not happy. I know personally that when I get to like week five, week six, I know I need a one week diet break where I bring my food back up to maintenance. I have at least one yummy food per day, although I manage the portion size and I give myself that mental and physical break before I do maybe another six weeks. After that, I don't want pretty much anybody doing a weight loss phase for more than 12 weeks out of an entire year. So you have 40 weeks that you need to be focusing on maintaining your body weight, exercising hard, improving the amount of fruits and vegetables you're taking in, enjoying your life, social events, and all of that. Um, and that kind of, I don't know if that sums up this question, but setting yourself up for a good weight loss phase is extremely important. Uh, and it's why I don't run a nutrition challenge in summer. Uh, around here, tons of weddings, social events, we get to actually go outside and enjoy each other and enjoy <laughs> I guess you can enjoy each other all the time, but more so in the summer. I definitely deal with way more social events. And I think that's common for many of us. So I think some of the best times to make changes is beginning of the year. Um, right here before summer, we might be motivated, more motivated than normal. Um, post summer, uh, maybe we've had all this enjoyment. We kind of want to feel like we're back on track. Uh, and certainly not during the holidays is another great time not to do a weight loss phase. So um, yeah, let's say, let's say you're tracking perfectly. Let's say you're tracking your body weight perfectly. You're tracking your intake perfectly. Let's say you're tracking your steps perfectly. So your activity level is the same per day and we're still not losing weight. Then I would say you're not in a deficit uh, and you have to make the decision if it's time to further. That's a big fuzzy right there. Uh, decision to reduce your calories further, right? A reduction of about 200 calories seems to be best for those who had a plateau. Or if you need to end your weight loss phase and shift your focus into maintenance, activity level, performance, and that type of thing. So again, really hard topic, extremely loaded, challenging, tough to deal with. Um, you have to be really honest with yourself. You know, if every, for me, I'm at Sam's Club, I'm just ripping up samples. I might've just killed my deficit for the day. I might've consumed, you know, an extra 500 calories on accident. Um, you know, I'm, I'm having my cereal. I don't have my scale out. I'm just going to keep going, you know, eat it. I uh, take my scoop of peanut butter and that was good. Another scoop. Uh, and guess what? Your body, unfortunately for weight loss um, goals is so good at getting you to maintain your body weight that you are going to get hungry. It is going to be really hard. Um, so that's why we have to be well motivated, set up for a good six, 12 week burst uh, in our weight loss phases. I think that covers it. Uh, that might create more questions. Uh, but I hope that kind of talks about what to do if you're not losing weight uh, in a variety of different contexts there. The next one is, how should I modify my intake based on activity? I talked a little bit this in carb days. So let's say I this person's talking uh, particularly, they prepared all their meals based on their activity level, like the perfect amount. All of a sudden, um, they can't go to the workout. Carb breaks down, babies are crying, whatever. Um, what do I do? So for me, I have three meals that I prep Per day and then i have two meals that kind of float my breakfast is a meal that kind of floats around let's say i have a high activity day high work day i have 60 grams of carbohydrate and let's say i don't have a workout that day remove something i have an apple a banana a tortilla with peanut butter that's my breakfast right now on a day i don't have a workout i can remove the tortilla i like to keep fruit in there just for general health but you could also reduce some of your fruit 
Now my carbohydrates have effectively adjusted. Uh, another really easy way that I do is currently I'm ingesting 210 grams of carbohydrate post-workout via Pop-Tarts right now. Normally it's cereal. If you guys have seen my cereal reviews, that's something I can also easily modify. So I didn't work out today. I'm not going to have any Pop-Tarts. I'm just going to go home and probably eat some fruit uh, and then have my next meal after that. So I've effectively uh, matched my carbohydrate intake for my activity level really simply on that day. Now, if you prep every single meal uh, and then something like that happens, you know, I, I don't know if you need to even worry about that. Honestly, you're probably getting like a 200 uh, calorie difference, which maybe your weight loss ends up being a little slower. Uh, I think it's okay. I think in, in the end, it ends up being okay and not affecting you too much. So don't stress too much about that really. But if it's easy enough, drop the carbs a little bit. Uh, if you miss your workout, it's probably 200 to 500 calories worth of carbohydrate. So that'd be somewhere between like 40 to you know 120 grams of carbohydrate. Once you're running a marathon, it's different. Uh, supplements. Okay. I'm not going to, these last ones are going to be a bit faster. Uh, they're smaller. Um, they're not as important on the terms of our priorities. So certain supplements, the specific question was asked about creatine. Do I recommend it? Yes. 100% creatine is well studied. Uh, it's been studied for a long time. Creatine monohydrate specifically by the cheapest possible brand you can get. It's probably the perfect thing for you. Uh, how do you take it? There's a loading phase you can follow, which is one week of high intake. Do not recommend personally, tons of belly pain, stress. You have to consume tons of water. You're still going to get belly issues, especially if you're doing the type of exercise we do here, where you're jumping up and down, moving around, moving fast. If you're just strength training, moving slow, yeah, it's probably fine to do the loading phase. Uh, but for everyone else, I think you take somewhere between three and six grams of creatine monohydrate per day. I add it to my protein shake and I drink it. What time do you drink it? Whenever you want. Uh, it's a supplement that's going to fully saturate your muscle, uh, muscle tissues and cells. So you just take it and eventually you'll notice some benefits. The benefits are increased power production, increased strength, increased muscular size. Like you're literally going to hold more water in your muscle cells. Um, and you might gain weight off that. And that's fine. That's muscle weight. I think everyone wants bigger muscles. Well, maybe not everyone, but everyone wants stronger, uh, more efficient muscles with more water in them. They tend to perform better. Uh, make sure you're drinking enough water. You know, if you're someone who has poor thirst signals, you might just want to aim for like half a gallon to a gallon of water per day. Uh, if you have normal thirst signals, which I think most people do, then you just drink when you're thirsty and you should do all right on that. Uh, if you do go get screened for creatinine levels, they're going to be elevated because any unused creatine is going to get peed out as creatinine. So make sure you tell your medical professional that you are supplementing with creatine if you're doing that. But again, somewhere between three and six grams per day. Uh, it seems to benefit just about everyone. There's also cognitive benefits, but I'm not going to talk about those because they're less relevant to strength, health, and fitness. Um, you can look that up if you want to. Creatine monohydrate, don't get fooled by the crealkaline, the fancy creatines. Um, paying energy drinks in particular are liquid creatine. It's likely ineffective because it's been liquid for too long. Yeah, I think that covers that one. Um, not going to go into any further science there. Oh, does make some people's belly hurt mine in particular. So I have mine post-workout. Some people think there's a benefit to pre-workout. I don't see enough evidence for that yet. Maybe in the future, um, you can take it before bed. If you can just sleep off a bellyache too, if you fall into that camp or you can reduce the amount you take. I think that's it. In terms of brands, I take optimum nutrition. I basically go to Amazon, find whatever's cheapest. Uh, creatine has quadrupled in price in the past year, which is quite unfortunate. 
Um, used to be something like 500 servings for 12 to $20. Now it's again, quadrupled in price. Next supplement uh, that I think is great, protein, whey protein, uh, casein protein, which is a slower digesting protein blends, which is whey and casein and possibly other types of pre, um, proteins in there. I don't even consider that a supplement at this point. I consider it a food. Uh, I have one to two shakes a day. I'm on the run on the way here. I like to have one on the way home. Um, I think they're convenient. If you're someone who struggles to get your full protein amount in, I think it's a great option. If you do just fine getting your protein amount in with solid foods, I think that's great. You're getting a little more nutrition out of your meats. You're getting a little more uh, benefit from those and staying full. If you're like me and you just don't want to eat meat anymore, or you just don't want to eat food anymore, shake works great. Get my calories, get my protein done. The next one, uh, protein prices those all have unfortunately doubled to tripled as well. Um, good prices back in the day used to be like two to four dollars per pound. Recently, I've seen ten to twenty dollars per pound, um, and you're paying for branding, you're paying for taste, you're paying for how well it mixes, uh, and maybe quality, but it really doesn't matter if you're getting at least some sort of name brand thing. There have been rumors of companies lying about what's in their products. Uh, they typically get sued after like six to 12 months. So if you have like a well-established um, company, Optimum Nutrition, MyProtein, um, there's so many out there, Dynamatize, something from Vitamin Shop, GNC, you're going to be getting a good enough product where it's going to be, you know, at least within 1% of the, the positives of the other. The next thing is pre-workout. Uh, so it's like the third class of things, I would say, maybe second class of things, things that might be worth taking. So pre-workout, caffeine, I uh, have beta alanine in there, and then also citrulline malate, which is probably on the tail end of worthless. Um, but for pre-workout, caffeine does improve performance. Totally think it's worthwhile for many of us if our goal is performance. Uh, however, there are huge issues with taking it uh, and creating maybe anxiety and elevated heart rates at times where they shouldn't be elevated, right? When we're exercising, that might be appropriate. But if I take it and I feel like I'm shaking, I feel uh, anxious, I'm nervous now, uh, I can't sleep at night, then you need to modify the amount. Everyone is extremely different in the way they metabolize. Uh, caffeine, I'm talking about caffeine. I hope I didn't say creatine there, caffeine. Uh, and you need to play around with it. Like don't buy the tub that's got like big numbers on it. This is super powered caffeine. Take a scoop and feel like you're gonna puke sort of like a half or a third. Uh, if you're going to drink an energy drink, a lot of energy drinks now, 300 milligrams of caffeine, which is in, basically insane to me. Um, they used to be like 120 to 240, but you know, we're working hard these days. Um, drink like half of that thing and let the other half go flat. That's why I think Brendan talked about how I had half a bang on my desk um, basically all the time because I drink half, I leave the half for the next day. Done. For me, I know I can't consume caffeine after 1 p.m. if I want to go to sleep by nine or 10. If I do, it's not going to work. Some people can have coffee right before bed and go to bed. That's not for me. Um, so really experiment with that. Most people are going to find a benefit somewhere between hundred milligrams to 300 milligrams in the pre-workout window. Speed of metabolism is also different for person to person. So somewhere between 20 minutes to an hour before, um, experiment with it. Um, if it motivates you to perform better in your workout, motivates you to work out more, uh, improves your performance and doesn't disrupt your sleep. I think it is worth it. Uh, and there's plenty of deals out there and you can play around with the 10 million different products there are, but primarily in pre-workouts, caffeine is the active ingredient that's going to do anything. The next two, uh, citrulline, malate, beta alanine. If you ever taken a pre-workout supplement and felt like itchy, your skin crawling, that's beta alanine. Um, it's recently 
popularized by Matt Frazier, which drove the prices up triple the quadruple. It does improve high rep performance. So maybe it's applicable to a CrossFit style of training. Does that matter? Maybe. Is it worth your money? Maybe you have to decide. I hate the tingling. Personally, I hate, I hate feeling like that and I do not take it somewhere between like five and seven grams taken per day, just like creatine. You do not have to take it at any specific time. Uh, the reason they put it in pre-workout is because people want to feel like it's working, it makes your skin itch. And you're like, man, I'm getting ripped now. I don't like it. Beta alanine, take it if you want. Uh, it's in pretty much every pre-workout supplement in ineffective doses. It's in enough dosage to make you feel like your skin's going to you know, tingle, but it's most times it's not enough to actually have the effect, which is double what's in most. Citrulline malate, it's very similar thing. It's supposed to increase blood flow and performance and short burst uh, duration. Also in mid rep sets like eight to 12, I've taken it. It's okay. It's not worth the money to me. Um, probably does nothing uh, overall. The research supports both of them. Uh, but again, it comes down to your cost. Like if you're an Olympian, do you take it? Maybe. Um, but for me, it's not worth it. Branched chain amino acids and then all their supplements. Uh, so branched chain amino acids are just a smaller form of protein, essentially. So if you eat protein, you don't need them at all. Uh, anecdotally, some people say it makes them less sore when they take it. Uh, I think a lot of people like to drink them because they taste good. And if that's you, that's fine. Uh, but it's getting close to be just being expensive water uh, at that point. Not enough evidence for me to say it does anything yet. So would not recommend. I'm assuming the price of that has also gone up, but I have not watched. Uh, if you're fasting and you're not eating for whatever reason, then you would want to drink branched chain amino acids because they're going to help conserve some muscle mass. That's the only time I'd recommend it, but I would not recommend fasting if your goal is performance and body composition. Uh, other supplements, if I haven't mentioned them, they probably don't do too much. Collagen protein, uh, no effect, zero effect, extremely expensive, extremely popular right now. Um, so it's, yeah, look into the, any supplement you get, go to examine.com, type it in, see what it says. Uh, it's an unbiased nonprofit website that gathers all of the data and puts it all out there. Now, looking at supplement data, a lot of times it'll be like this one crazy good study and like 10,000 bad ones. That's, you want to look at the majority of the data. You can't just pick and choose the ones you like that support your, your hope for them to be great. Next thing, my top meal prep tools. Uh, this is more of a fun one. Um, so I like to have multiple ways to cook. So like an oven, uh, a crock pot, I have a rice cooker. I actually had an instant pot, but I hated it. But some people like them. Um, I have an air fryer, which I don't tend to use for meal prep because it's too small. I have a grill. I have multiple grills. I have a smoker as well. But I would recommend having multiple ways to cook or finding multiple ways to cook. For example, oven, stovetop. Cook two meats at once, cut your time in half. Uh, crock pot, oven, stovetop, grill, right? I can do four to four times the amount of food the same amount of time, right? I can cook it all at once, uh, provided I don't forget about the food on the grill and it burns, which happens to me a lot. So that's number one. Second one, cutting boards, knives. I have three cutting boards, two really nice knives. Uh, I can, you know, go chop up meat and stuff on one board. I'm not going to go take that same knife and same cutting board and cut, chop veggies on it, but it doesn't, I don't have to do the dishes before I can move on. I can just toss that thing and then I can move on veggies, different cutting board, different knife, boom, done. Uh, speeds up my time again there. I can kind of batch all my dishwashing at the end. Mixing bowls. I have 12 giant metal stainless steel or whatever they are mixing bowls. Uh, I put the 
This helps weighing things out, right? I can put all the food in the bowl, set it on the scale, zero the scale. As I take the food out, right? Two ounces, three ounces, four and a half, boom, done. Zero it, go again. Boom, done. I don't have to like take the spoon, put my Tupperware on the scale, put the thing on. Oh, not enough. Put it oh, too much. I can just take it from the bowl uh, and make it perfect. Also, it's really just, it just speeds up everything. I can put trash in there, take the bowl, toss it in the trash. Uh, so tons of mixing bowls. Food scales, if you don't have one, you got to have one. If your goal is weight loss, you just have no clue. It's all guessing if you don't have one, right? You can do the whole, this is protein size, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's got different hand sizes. Yeah, you have to have a food scale if your goal is weight loss or if your goal is to learn more about what you're actually ingesting. Uh, and then Tupperware. I don't know. I've just got an Amazon product right now. It's called Fit Packer. They've changed their model design. Their original was way better. Uh, their new one is weird. It's like a non-stick type thing. Can you microwave plastic? I don't have, there's not enough evidence out there to suggest that it's a negative effect. For me, it's kind of like the supplement thing where it's like one study came out and said, you know, you're going to eat all this plastic and you're going to die. Uh, and then there's like 2000 that say it's safe for you. So I use Tupperware that's plastic. If you're worried about it, just use glass, whatever. There's a million different products. They all, they're all about the same. And then I have a couple opinion questions. Uh, I'm calling the one an opinion just because I, I don't have enough information and experience with it to offer a, what I would consider a, a, like a good answer for it. So the first one was in, intermittent fasting. Uh, IF, this is super popular, like in 20, Geez, what was it? 2012 to 2015. Uh, so intermittent fasting is picking a window of time throughout the day to only eat at. So I'd only eat for eight hours and I'm fasting for the other 12, or I'm only eating for four hours, fasting for the other whatever time is remaining. I think my eight and 12 is off there too, but uh, you get the picture. So a common one is I eat from noon to 8 p.m. and then I'm done. I think intermittent fasting is fine for sedentary individuals. You would not want to be doing that working an active constructive uh, construction job. You'd probably feel quite bad. Uh, and I also don't think it's a great option for those who are interested in maximum performance. So if you like want to get stronger and better at working out, probably not the best because you will not have enough fuel at the right times to maximize your performance. You could squeak by. Uh, it might be a good strategy for a weight loss phase for a short period of time. Um, but again, if you're active and you want to get better at working out, I don't think it's a great option. Um, again, if you're sedentary, like you don't, your energy needs are already so low. Um, some people do really well with rules, like, all right, it's 8 p.m. Now I can't eat. A lot of people tend to overeat at night. So you might be successful in a weight loss phase there. There were initial claims about like these health benefits with like uh, glucose and insulin sensitivity and all that stuff. That's not supported. Um, there's also theories that it would improve the amount of fat you lose versus the amount of muscle. A typical weight loss phase, you're losing like one pound of muscle per three pounds of fat, which like a normal, natural, uh, well-trained individual. Uh, also no evidence to support that. So uh, I've done it actually, personally, I've done intermittent fasting. I've done full day fasting. I certainly lost performance during it. Uh, the issue for me was when I stopped doing it, I would have these like insatiable hunger cravings during my, what used to be my eating window. So I would get to like my evening where I was used to eating for me, you know, active working out all the time. I was eating 3,800 to 4,800 calories in a four ish hour window. And so when I stopped it and I brought my breakfast back in, you know, I'd just be eating in the morning when I'm not really hungry. And then I'd get to the evening and I still feel like I need to go and, you know, binge until I feel like I'm going to, my belly's going to explode. Um, so me actually 
probably created some disordered eating habits. And I would think that is possible uh, for some of us out there with really restrictive eating where the time is restricted in this instance. So yeah, I don't know, not, not a big thing. If you're working out here, would not recommend. And then the vegetarian diet. Uh, this is one I don't have enough expertise to offer my input on. Uh, those who have done the nutrition challenge who are vegetarians, and for whatever reason you're a vegetarian, uh, it's not inherently healthier. So if you're doing it for that reason, I would do further research into why you're doing it. Uh, if you're doing it for other reasons, ethical, moral, energy, conservation, whatever uh, the reason might be, uh, yeah, that's good and fine. I totally support you in, in whatever you're doing and whatever works best for you. Uh, your protein intake is probably going to be adjusted. If you have a goal of getting a gram per pound of body weight, you're probably going to really struggle with that. Uh, and you probably just won't be successful ever getting there. So I would just say aim for somewhere between like 0.6 to 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. Uh, now, this is the interesting thing about the vegetarian diet. Animal proteins are of higher quality, uh, meaning they're complete, uh, meaning they have all the amino acids necessary to influence muscle protein synthesis and other protein related um, activities that go on. Whereas in a vegetarian diet, if you are eating a vegetarian protein source, you might be missing some of those amino acids. Now, if you're eating like a huge variety of vegetarian foods, um, then you're probably going to end up making complete amino acid profiles and it'll work out just fine. But a lot of the recommendations are to actually consume more protein than a, a meat eating. Uh, individual because a lot of those proteins are going to have a lesser effect. I just don't see that being realistic for someone who's eating plant-based protein sources. There are plant-based um, protein powders out there now, so I would probably utilize those if I'm an individual looking to get leaner, stronger, better performance. Yeah, the nice thing about the vegetarian diet is you're plant-based or plant-focused. Uh, we all know plant-focused is extremely important for longevity and health. I talk about trying to meet our goal of 10 servings of fruits and vegetables per day. I just tend to go at it with uh, also meat. So it's a plant-based diet that includes meat. And I think that is truly the healthiest thing uh, in terms of headlines and documentaries. There has been a very more extreme push towards uh, plant-based diets, vegan, vegetarian. A lot of the documentaries out there are unfortunately biased, um, incorrect in many ways. Uh, and I wouldn't just make sure if you're following it based off uh, some sort of feeling that you got from watching a documentary, make sure you're fully educated on the opposite side of that. Make sure you look up the rebuttals to that. I'm thinking of the game changers in particular. There's probably like 10 plus uh, rebuttals from experts in the field talking about how they manipulated the studies, the statistics, how they used emotion to make a play in those documentaries. You know, I prefer a documentary that provides uh, both sides. But if you did that, it wouldn't be very interesting. They'd be like, yeah, oh, maybe it's a good idea and maybe it's not. Um, so yeah, consider that. Um, but if you're going to do it, fully support you. Go ahead. It's just uh, more challenging. Um, there's a good study out there, like eating a plant-based diet increases your lifespan by 10 years. I'd probably agree with that. Uh, interesting issue when we look at vegetarian diets compared to the normal American diet. If you follow a diet at all, you're probably already what's considered like a healthy minded person. Uh, so there's kind of this bias when we look at studies about this. Like if you're comparing a person who works out to the average American, I guarantee they live longer. Uh, I'm sure this study has been done. Live longer than an individual who's the average, right? So the average American diet is obviously not very healthy, uh, tend to be obese. So if you're following any diet, 
they're likely healthier uh, than those individuals. So uh, that was a long one. And that's kind of what I expected uh, because there's so much context to lay out. Uh, if you do decide to join the nutrition challenge, we get one of these videos every single week, uh, specific to your questions, your struggles, uh, and maybe even you just check in and say everything went great this week. Maybe you get a congratulations, uh, and that's that's it for the video. But um, yeah, I really enjoy this type of stuff. I've been working with many people now. I think we did 120 one-on-one um, nutrition programs. Uh, that was kind of the previous model. I do like the nutrition group a lot more because some people have questions that they don't know they have until someone else asks it. Uh, and in this format, I feel like I can teach a lot better. Uh, in a more engaging way. I think the six week, very structured program that I've set up and I've modified things over the programs in small amounts and I've added content in small amounts. It's just, I think it's a really good way to learn uh, all about this and kind of like get your foot in the door for being able to make decisions on your own. Like when someone tells you they're eating this way, uh, no one talked about the carnivore diet. I can't get in. If someone tells you they're following a diet and you're like, why? And they say, well, I, I can only eat this. Like, oh yeah, that works because you can't eat as many calories because your foods are restricted. Or uh, I, you know, I, there's the point system. Those are just calories, but with a fancy name, they're points, calories, same thing. These are zero points. It's because they're essentially zero calories. Um, you can kind of just learn why things work the way they do. Uh, you can kind of suss out what works for you, what does not. And yeah, it's, it's normally a really fun six weeks because you get to reflect on a lot uh, you get to find what works for you and everyone has a different experience with it you know some might lose weight and some might lose weight rapidly some might not lose weight at all but they come out of it knowing how to uh, if there's an opportunity in the future so that is it guys thank you if you watched the whole video thank you that was probably like 40 minutes or something um but that's it if you want to sign up just go uh, to our website or our zen planner and you can find the Nutrition Challenge 22.2. It will start Monday and you'll receive all your homework for week one once you sign up and once you're added to the Facebook group.